Hey there, this is Keith Carpenter. I get to pastor Epic Life Church, and it's such a, a blessing that you're watching this today. I want to encourage you to in, um, enjoy this message and enjoy this worship and time. But I also want to encourage you that if you're listening from a different place in this city or in this country, and you have a local church that you're part of, that you invest into that local church. It's really good that we can hear people online, men and women teach and expound on the scripture. But in the long run, we need to go back to our local church and be part of that community. So again, it's a blessing having you here. I pray that this is a blessing to you and I want to encourage you to invest in your local community. Have a great morning. What a privilege it is to be here this morning and, and just be in the presence with you, uh, our church. And online, I want to say hi to everyone online as well. And Ricardo, I, I hear you're watching. And uh, Mary Esther down in Peru, and we love you and, and just blessed by what you are, are doing there and, and hope we can be a bigger part of it in the years coming too as that's been a rough time for you. So it's good to have you here joining us this morning. Um, and if you're a guest this morning as well, we do have little uh, like um, contact cards. We would love to know who you are and be able to follow up with you and just uh, send you an email and fill your mailbox with spam. Just one email. That's all you're going to get. So, But it would be a blessing, a blessing to know. Well, this morning, um, the danger of the passage that I'm going to preach on this morning is, uh, is uh, you're listening online, you're in the space here, and you hear this later on. You know, I'm, I'm a pastor, and so I talk to people, a lot of people. I've talked to a lot of you this past week, sat down and talked with you, and you've shared things with me, and I've talked through things with you, and some of it is uh, like struggling, and some of it's uh, good stuff, and or struggling with other people, and trying to figure out interpersonal relationships. That's a lot of what pastoring is, is, is figuring out interpersonal relationships, and what the Word of God says in the middle of that. So how can I preach this passage without someone thinking I am being uh, passive-aggressive and talking about you specifically? I am, but I'm not. It, it, this is just the passage. And so we're going to have to deal with it together, and you're going to have to deal with it, that I'm not talking about you or our conversation, although it's going to sound like it. All right? Fair enough? There's a, if we divide the world into two categories, um, this is you and this is everybody else. It's kind of the categories we divide life into, isn't it? Let me tell you, what category are you responsible for? You. <laughs> if you don't know that, I'm going to let you know this morning, this is the category you're responsible for. The rest of it? You're not actually responsible. You can have influence on the rest of it. You can, you can help the rest of it. You can be generous. You can be encouraging. But this is where your responsibility lies, right there. And you can argue, well, I'm a leader. I'm a, I'm a business leader. I'm a pastor. And, and so I have a responsibility. Yes, you have a responsibility in that area, but you're responsible for you. And I know that our society wants to make it seem like somebody else is responsible for the actions that you just did. 
but you are responsible for you. So as we're listening to this message this morning, it's pretty simple. Um, sometimes Jesus taught simple things, and but it really could impact us pretty heavily here this morning. So if you join me in prayer, and let's pray that God, God speaks to us this morning. Father God, I just worship you and, and so thankful for, for what you've done in our lives. I'm, I'm, I'm fearful, honestly, Lord. I don't get fearful often, and uh, you've given me a lot of faith, and faith in, in you, and you're miraculous. But I'm fearful that your church in America has become apathetic at best. We, we don't, we take, we really, Lord, forgive us, we take for granted the space of communing with your people together. Your church, your body, that, that we take that for granted. Forgive us for that. We, we are so interested in pointing fingers and blaming others and telling others about their faults. We're more interested in that than just worshiping you. Help us to realize this morning as we're in this space and as we're listening online and even listening to this at another point in this week, perhaps, that your spirit is present. And when we're together, the body of Christ, you, you are present in this remarkable way. Help us understand that we, we have something to do with each other in your spirit. That we affect each other. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would be present this morning in, in a wonderful way. Allow us to hear your word. What a privilege it is that we get to open your word. I pray right now that you would be with believers who are in countries like Afghanistan. And just this past week, speaking with another pastor about a friend who is running for their life with their family and small kids. because they're Christians. Lord, would you be with the church there? We know what you do. You raise up your people in more war-torn countries and more people come to know you. But the heartache that's happening, I pray for your protection, your care, and that you would be in those spaces. And there's many countries on this earth where Christianity is illegal, where people don't take gathering together for granted. pray that you would speak this morning. I thank you for gathering us this morning. We just worship you in the name of Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> this last week, I got to travel to Idaho. And in Idaho, my family is in Idaho. And uh, I've told the stories many times, but we, we grew up on the mountains, about 5,000 feet. And, and uh, my brother got married. If you remember this brother, my older brother, he lost his wife 12 years ago, uh, leaving behind uh, six children. Uh, those, those children are grown. Um, we've mourned our, our sister-in-law's death in a car accident many years ago. And, but, but God used, but, and God used that, that time for his glory in a really beautiful way. In the little town of 500 people where they lived, 750 people showed up to the funeral. And God allowed me to preach the gospel to 750 people because of the death of our sister-in-law. Um, this past week, I got to go and, and be part of my brother's wedding. Um, he met a, a young lady, and 
you know, the, the world is pretty harsh sometimes, right? I'm kind of feeling, I'm sorry, I'm a little, I feel very thin this morning. I'm, whew. My wife, my, my brother met, met his new wife. She's coming out of a, an abusive, narcissistic relationship. Somebody who wouldn't let her be a person. Thought that his responsibility was for everybody else, not himself. Came out of that and met my brother who has shown her that, like how a man should treat a woman with care, grace, and kindness, and being able, willing to fight for her, not with her. And uh, on the way over, we were driving through Ellensburg. I was just telling my boys, I was like, man, I'm glad I'm not doing this wedding because. Weddings are hard for me, and it's a difficult situation to be in sometimes. And I was just telling them, I'm, kind of, I'm really glad I'm not doing this wedding. About 10 minutes later, I got a phone call from my brother who said, you guessed it. He said, uh, so the pastor is down sick with, you know, that one virus, and he's staying home. And uh, so would you fill in? What am I going to say, right? So I did. And uh, I took that space and was just – was. You know, this outdoor wedding and the, the canyons of Idaho is a beautiful setting and lots of people. And we're able just, again, to share the gospel in the midst of a wedding ceremony and the beauty of marriage and, and what God looks at you, the church. He looks at you, the church, as the bride of Christ. He looks at you as someone he loves and cares for and, and would do anything for and die for, literally give his life for. He looks at you that way, church. He looks at you that way. And uh, to have people listen into that, people who are Christians and not Christians, people who are finding their way, was beautiful. And it just reminded me so much that we as the church, we just lose that, that thing. We are, I know as guys, it's hard for us to understand that, right? That we're the bride of Christ. It's hard for us to kind of grasp that a little bit. But the beauty of a, of a wife walking down a bride walking down the aisle with a white dress on, being handed. It's just a gorgeous, beautiful situation where, where God has that perspective of us. He loves us and cherishes us, would die for us and care for us. And so when he writes, when Jesus says hard things, it's not because he wants to go, hey, wake up. He's not yelling at us. A lot of us hear the Sermon on the Mount as, as Jesus yelling at us and taunting us even or, or putting us down a little bit, exclamation points or something. But there's a bigger story here in the Sermon on the Mount, isn't there? There's something more. Jesus loves us. He cares for us. And so he wants, that means he wants the best for us. He wants to say, hey, I see you. I see where you're at. I don't want you to stay there. Let's step forward. Let's let's." Let's learn some things. Let's understand some things differently and, and, and discover some things. So that's Jesus. He cares for you. And so when, when you're hearing this, all right, he's not trying to smack you up. He's not trying to be mean to you. He's trying to encourage you and love you. The Spirit knows you. He knows what we need to hear this morning as well. This is a Matthew chapter 7. Sermon on the Mount is Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7. And Jesus really, he walks out of the wilderness uh, in Matthew chapter 4. 
It's a beautiful setting. He, he goes, he, he uh, is baptized in the Jordan River by John. And in that baptism, <clears throat> the Holy Spirit ascends, uh, descends right onto Jesus, lands on him. And then the Holy Spirit, that same Holy Spirit that landed on Jesus in baptism would say, Jesus, it's time to go to the wilderness and, and starve yourself for 40 days. Right? And so the Spirit sends Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the enemy. God doesn't tempt us. He tests us. The enemy tempts us. The enemy tempts us to turn away from God, to rebel against God. And so in chapter 4, we see the enemy tempting Jesus to fall away. And he kept saying, if you're really the Son of God, if you're really the Son of God, do this. If you're really the Son of God. And so he went down these three things, tempted Jesus uh, as he had been... um, not eating for 40 days straight in the wilderness by himself. This is a beautiful, I just want to read the end of this, okay? Verse 11. It says this. When Jesus had finished the tempting, responded with scripture. Verse 11 says, then the devil went away and the angels came and took care of Jesus. Some of your versions say the angels came and ministered to him, cared for him, loved on Jesus lifted him up and protected him, maybe even brought him some food. I don't know. I think that's a beautiful thing. You know, men and women, we're going to go through tempting in our life. The enemy is is on this earth, and he's stealing, killing, and destroying. In fact, the last temptation of Jesus, the last one on that line, was uh, the enemy telling Jesus, look at all this. See all this? Took him up to a high mountain and said, see all this? I can give it all to you. I'm in control. I can give this all to you. All of this glory, all this beauty, all this land, all this gold, all this everything, I can give it all to you if you just bow your knee to me. We're going to have those temptations, men and women. The enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy, and he wants to destroy the bride of Christ. And so our, our weapon against that is the word of God. And in that passage, Jesus would use the word of God. He would speak back to the enemy, and the enemy would would go away, would leave Jesus for a time because he's going to be returning. And then the angels came and ministered to Jesus. It's so beautiful. So that continues on, and Jesus begins his ministry, and he steps out of the wilderness, and now he has the Holy Spirit. He's been tempted. He's uh, proven, maybe even um, seen that he is the Son of God. And now he, in verse 17, he says, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And he's not saying, hey, Israel, you as a collective whole, repent of your sins. He's saying you, individually, singular focused, you repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he said, come, follow me, and I'll show you how to fish for men. <coughs> and uh, he, 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 told, he showed us how to turn to him, and then he gave us a role. Follow me, and I'll show you how to fish for men, for people. And then the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, he walks up to the hill, he sits down, he turns around, People are gathered around him, his disciples close up, and maybe a throng of people who are listening in, and he starts preaching the Beatitudes. He starts preaching the sermon. And maybe this is a, a one-time sermon where, where somebody's back there and, and taking notes really, really fast. Or maybe this is several times when Jesus would sit on the hill and teach, and, and uh, Matthew puts this in one place. We don't know exactly, <clears throat> but, but here it is. And I think the crux of the Sermon on the Mount is this. 
Verse 13 of chapter 5. You are the salt of the earth, he says. But what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? He says, you are the salt of the earth. In verse 14, he says, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one hides a lamp and puts it away. And so he's, he says, this is, this is uh, who we are. We're identified in Christ now that we've given our lives to Christ, and he, he has redeemed us. Uh, he said, go and, and follow me, and I'll, I'll make you fishers of men. And he said, listen, men and women, you as a Christ follower are the salt of the earth. You're the light. You shine. You shine in the darkness. And then the world needs you to shine, and the world needs your saltiness. The world needs you to taste, to make the, the earth taste good, the society and people to taste good. So he starts preaching, and we've been going through this for a while, but in chapter 7 it says this. So he says, do not judge one another, and you will not be judged, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And Why worry about a speck in your friend's eyes when you have a log in your own eye? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get that little speck out of your eye when you can't even see past the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you'll see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. And don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They'll trample the pearls and then turn back, and they will attack you. As I've been reading this, I've realized there's so much implications in this passage for society as a whole right now, but I want to focus down on this right here. You. <laughs> you. And if we could hear this in that manner. Please do. <clears throat> you, you may actually hope that the right person is here to hear this. The right person is here <laughs> to hear this. It's you, right? So likely Jesus' audience felt kind of, uh, kind of maybe a, a bit like slapped a little here. Uh, likely they felt like he was he was pointing out a few things, or some maybe Peter was back here thinking, uh, we just had this conversation last night. Now he's preaching about me, right? And uh, but I I think that Jesus might have it might have been a, a little bit a little bit comical as he was re- as he was saying this, just a little bit. I, I don't want to disrespect him, but I don't think he was saying. I don't think he was yelling at us and, and saying, uh, listen, you morons, why don't you worry about, why do you worry about the speck in your friend's eyes? I can't believe you're doing this again when you got this big stick hanging out of your eyes. I, I don't think he was talking like that. I think he was saying something like, eh, why worry about the speck in your friend's eyes when you have a log in your own? That's kind of ridiculous, isn't it? And everybody chuckled a little bit. They might have laughed about that. How can you think of saying, to your friend, let me help you with that little speck. And then he, he, he says this joke, when you can't even see past the log in your own eye. And everybody looks at Peter and they laugh. And then he says, it was kind of hypocritical, isn't it? Come on, listen to this. First, get, let, why don't you get rid of that log in your own eye and you'll see well enough to deal with the speck in your own eye. You know, Jesus isn't yelling at us at, at all times. He's actually maybe just speaking friendly with us. Listen as the Spirit speaks to us this morning. In verse 1 and 2, when he's saying, do not judge others. And this isn't saying do not judge others as in don't go into the law profession or don't be a judge. This is not what he's saying. He's, it's more like, listen, if you're going to judge, 
if that's going to happen, and that's what you're going to do is judge others, uh, it's probably going to be weighed out the same to you. So be careful with that. And so in first, verse 1 to 2, the, the you that he is using here, do not judge, or you, this is a, a plural you. It's a plural form of the word you. And so he's talking to a lot of people, kind of talking to everybody and saying, listen, everyone, um, let's, let's be careful about judging. And the passage continues, and into verse 3, and he goes, so why worry about the speck in your friend's eyes? And he turns to a, a singular you. So he had plural there at the beginning. In verse 3, he turned to singular you. And the singular you, this is a personal uh, responsibility for us, for me, for you personally. And so it's hard for me to preach this because I've got the log in my own eye, and this is for me as well, okay? Jesus is, is more than just a wise sage. He actually knows what we need to hear. And this is more than just a wise message or a wise saying that can go onto a, a sign on our walls someplace. There's a bigger thing here. Jesus is more concerned. Uh, he's concerned about a bigger issue, a bigger life issue, a, a more, more thing than just a, a nice little quip on the wall. He is saying something about his kingdom, about the broader message here, the kingdom of God. In fact, he would over and over and over throughout the scriptures talk about the kingdom of God. Jesus tells us this, uh, this little adage, perhaps with tongue-in-cheek, but he's trying to get a, a little point across, and even a tongue-in-cheek thing can sting a little bit to us. And I think this probably stung the disciples as it should probably sting us. So he's saying, so measure, the measure part, when you judge, when you measure one another, it's going to be meted out equally to you. And uh, when you have a plank in your eye, these things these things go hand in hand. The measuring, the judging goes hand in hand with the plank in somebody's eye. We love to judge other people. The other day, I was driving down Aurora Avenue at night. I'm driving along, and this fool in front of me turns off the road without putting his blinker on. And I was like, come on. I was probably tired. It was night, and there's a lot of traffic. And this guy just turns without a blinker, and I... I drive past him, and I just want to yell, what in the world? Use your blinker. Or do Hondas not have blinkers nowadays? I don't know. And, and he, he drives past, and he mouths to me, your lights aren't on. Ah, thank you. <laughs> I'm driving at night on Aurora Avenue without my lights on, complaining about a guy who didn't use his blinker. That's pretty bad. Okay, there's a plank, right, in my eye right there, and I couldn't even see past it, didn't even notice that my lights weren't on. <clears throat> the measure you use will be measured back to you. We love to judge others because it, it kind of takes a spotlight off of ourselves. Um, you ever been in a wreck and it's partly your fault or mostly your fault, but you want to make sure the police officer knows how much the other person is at fault? We love to take the spotlight off of ourselves from the beginning. There's videos everywhere online. I was going to get one, but I thought, eh, it's a little trite. But there's videos everywhere about a two-year-old not taking responsibility for something. It wasn't me, I promise. You know, from the very beginning, we love to blame others. Have you guys ever read Paradise Lost by John Milton? I came across this passage in, in that. It's the longest poem ever written about space and time and creation and all that stuff. And, and get this. John Milton says this, um, talking about the Garden of Eden and... Uh, Adam and Eve, and he said, she first, his weak indulgence will accuse, 
Thus they in mutual accusation spent the fruitless hours, but neither self-condemning. And of their vain contest, there appeared no end. That was in poetic verse, so let me say it one more time so we can grab that, okay? She first his weak indulgence accused, and thus they in mutual accusation spent the fruitless hours, but neither self-condemning, and of their vain contest appeared. There was no end. We have no end of our constant accusing and judging other people. But we don't judge ourselves too well. And when we do judge ourselves, we're putting ourselves down to the point where the enemy is trying to just get us to be useless and we condemn ourselves. That's not what Jesus is talking about here either. He's not calling us to condemn ourselves. He is calling us to be humble. So we are responsible for our own rebellion. We're responsible for ourselves. We're not responsible for other people's rebellions. We're responsible for our own rebellion before God. And, uh, but society really tells us now that somebody else is to blame for my rebellion. Somebody else is to blame for my sins. I am only doing this because somebody else has put me in this situation. In fact, I have no personal rebellion and personal sin of my own. Somebody else has done this to me. I, I am not unrighteous. Somebody else has been unrighteous to me, which has made me unrighteous. This is not my fault. It's not my rebellion. And when we act like that, when we have that about ourselves, we don't take responsibility for our own rebellion against God. What it does is makes us think that we have no need for redemption. We don't need a God because I haven't done anything wrong. I haven't done any rebellion against any God to do anything wrong, so I don't need a redemption, a redeemer. But personal responsibility, I believe, is actually a gift from God. Understanding that we are personally responsible for our rebellion is a gift from God. It shows, uh, he shows us our rebellion and our need then for a savior. And when we don't understand that we're personally responsible for things we do before God that are, that are sin, our rebellion against him, and I use the word sin um, carefully because we don't understand the word sin anymore. That's kind of a, a used word. But the word rebellion against God, I think, can have, it's, a, it's the same meaning, but it can, can maybe give us a better picture. Um, that we, we rebel against God's perfection, against his righteousness. And when we rebel, it's our responsibility. If we, if we are in a book, in a place of saying somebody else did this, well, well, actually, everything about the scriptures are incorrect. We can't even follow this God, this Jesus at all. We can take our responsibility for our own rebellion, the own plank in our own eye, and turn to Christ for redemption, for salvation. The plank is a deadly, a deadly beam in our eye, isn't it? It's this, I mean, you think about a plank in your eye. Actually, he said a log, but it might have been a hewn big plank. It, that seems more deadly than a, like a speck. Because if a plank is in my eye, I'm envisioning it going through the back of my head as well, like to support it. A plank is deadly. The, the speck, actually, the speck can be dealt with. It can be looked at, but when the, the speck is focused on, it looks like this huge 
horrible stain in somebody's eyes, and we come up there wagging our plank around in our head and bashing people over the head, and we're getting in there with our surgical instruments to remove this tiny little speck. But it looks so terrible in that person. I can't believe that you, you are like that. How can you function in the world like that? And we come and we beat them over the head with our plank and trying to remove that tiny little thing. There, there is an absurdity to this passage, actually. And so I, that's why I think when Jesus spoke it, he was like, yeah, this is kind of funny, kind of serious. It might bite a little bit. Here's kind of an absurd kind of idea. Plank in your eye, that's funny. It's an obvious exaggeration to make a really, really, really good point. There's a lot of plank eye surgery out there, isn't there? There's a lot of surgeons who think they're surgeons, and they're, they're plank-eyed surgeons. Assessing the problem of everyone else as they're gazing down their plank in their own eye. It leads to judgmental attitudes. It leads to bitterness. It leads to complaining, to irritation, to anger. It leads to an inability to hear any spiritual truth at all in our own lives. And honestly, when we're judging others constantly, when we have this plank in our eye, it drives a wedge between us and our brothers and sisters. We love to judge people who are close to us. Don't we? A lot of reasons marriages fall apart is because there's a lot of judging of the people you love the most. Plank eye surgery is a dangerous place to be. Drives us wedge between us as brothers and sisters, and that wedge is called gossip. Because in our plank eyed surgery, we have plank eyed media and plank eyed parties. And we gather around a, a fireplace to have a prayer meeting, and it ends up being a bunch of people with planks in their eyes complaining about somebody who has a problem. We wake up in the morning, and we go to talk to somebody, and we're asked how we're doing, and it instantly becomes this diatribe of talking about somebody else who has this problem. Because I found another person with a plank eye. We love to hang around people with plank eyes. It's easier. It's easier to be in a common space with other people who have these problems and we're judging somebody who has a speck. Men and women, run from that. Run from it. If you're in a space ever of gossip and plank-eyed surgery, run from it. Run from it like it's going to kill you, like it's going to drive a wedge in your church and divide you. Run from it like you are afraid of it. Run from it like it's going to literally kill you. Get out of there as fast as you can. You know, I, you know what I don't hear from people? I don't hear people say, hey, <laughs> could you help me with this plank in my eye? That takes a lot of humility, doesn't it? It's coming to somebody and saying, man, I've, I've, got, something, I've got something in my eye, and I can't see straight, and I'm finding myself judging others. I'm finding myself constantly. My only conversation is judging can you help me get rid of this plank? There's some humility in that that is uncommon, but something that our churches need so desperately. Ask for help. Be humble enough to ask for help. At least admit the possibility that you have a plank and can't see clearly. 
admitting the possibility at least gets you to a place of when you are talking with somebody, you're stopping and going, you know what? I might not be seeing this clearly. And uh, if I'm judging you out of this plank eye, forgive me, I might not be seeing it clearly. At least admit the possibility. We love this verse also because um, we seldom apply it to ourselves for one. Well, we, we have people come to us and they say something to us and encourage us and we go, check your own plank, right? We, we're like, no, 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 you can't talk to me. What about that in your life? We don't even take wisdom. So we love this passage because we turn it around and then we don't let anybody speak to us because everybody has a plank that's bigger than my spec, right? We flip it around and it's so dangerous and Jesus isn't going there. He isn't saying, hey, don't judge anybody. He's not saying never, never uh, counsel anybody. He's not saying never take care of people. He's saying just when you do it, realize you got something hitting them in the face when you're walking up to them. Be humble with this. And Jesus loves us so much that he's like the, the brilliant, beautiful church community is one that is humble enough to admit that they might have a plank in their eye or at least admit the possibility. There's lots and lots of verses in the Bible that talks about counsel. So we should not, not take this as we should not be giving each other counsel. We must not use this adage as an excuse not to receive correction or not to give correction. So let's do it with humility. All right? So there's a couple other verses here we'll cover, and then, then we'll be done. So he says this. He says hypocrites. He's just, I mean, a hypocrite is somebody who's acting like somebody he's not. Says first, get rid of the log in your own eye. So he's saying, hey, have surgery on yourself. Notice the log in your own eye. Have surgery on yourself and get rid of it. Cut it out. Have somebody help you get rid of it. Do whatever you need. Then, then you'll see well enough to help your friend. Isn't that awesome? Get rid of what's in your eye. You'll, you'll see well enough to do some surgery with your friend. Jesus is talking about a friend's community here. He's not even talking about the world. He's talking about the body of Christ, perhaps, even more. And then he says this, don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs, for they'll trample the pearls, then turn and attack you. And sometimes people think that Jesus was kind of shooting from the hips, and he was throwing some quips out here and there, and they didn't really have anything to do with each other. And so the next, actually, throughout this chapter, you guys, most of your Bibles have all these headings, like one verse, two verses, and like Jesus is, is throwing out, oh, at the end of my sermon, I'm just going to throw out a bunch of random stuff. Somebody write this down. It's random stuff is going to hit. I don't think it was random stuff. I think that Jesus had a bigger purpose here. In fact, I think this whole passage ends with verse 12. Do to others what you would like them to do to you. <laughs> we take that passage and read it only by itself. But maybe Jesus was talking about judging, hypocrite, plank eye. Do to others what you would like them to do to, to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. It all actually has to do with humility in our own selves. So don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs and they will trample the pearl. Perhaps Jesus was actually talking about this plank eye idea and judging in this, and he didn't just change topics all of a sudden and talk about pearls and throwing them to pigs. What could this mean? What, what could this mean? when it comes to judging. Um, I, I think it, what it, it comes down to is that that last sentence is, is uh, you'll be able to see well enough to deal with people. 
He's like, but you know what? If you got a speck in your eye and you're you're trying to help somebody with a log in their eye and they're like, no way, no how, you're not touching me. That's like throwing, it's like taking something really valuable that God has taught you, years and years of humbling you, years of years of, of the enemy tempting you, the angels taking care of you, of Jesus uh, um, uh, maybe even testing you in some things to, to test your faith and years and years of growing and becoming humble and through hardships and struggle and through storms and coming to a place where maybe there's a speck but then walking up to somebody and saying, hey, can I help you? And that person's not humble enough to be helped. Just don't even, don't even try. Don't even go there. Because that person will just turn around and whack you in the head with that plank. You take those pearls, those beautiful pearls that you've learned over the years, and you, you give them to somebody who's just going to abuse it. It's, it's just going to be like a bunch of pigs trampling it into the mud. They have, they have no idea the value. They have no idea the value of learning something in life. I really have come to respect people who are older than me. And that's just come in the last 10 years probably. Going back and listening to my dad talk and share pieces of wisdom, receive that like it's a pearl, like it's something that was learned for 82 years, something that was learned that was given. And I, I receive that like, can I, can I receive this and, and treat it like it has value? Not everybody will do that, sadly. My, my personal response often is when I'm in this space and I'm sharing something, and uh, like literally, what should I do? Somebody comes to me, what should I do? I'm, I'm confused. I don't know what to do. What should I do? Here's my options. Like, are you asking me my opinion? Do you want some advice? Do you want me to give you some advice? Yes, please do. Okay, so here's what... Here's what I feel like you should do. You look at all this. Let's go down this route. Let's pray down this route. Let's uh, search the Lord down this route. The next day I found out they went this other direction completely. I'm like, why in the world did you waste my time and talk to me about this? Just, just stay away from me altogether. And, of course, that's not where God is going, right? He has much more grace than that. We are still to hand out pearls. We're still to bless people. Just realize that not everybody is going to take those pearls like they have value. But I would also say, remember the value that's given to you. All right. So, do to others whatever you would have them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. Verse 13. You see, you can enter God's kingdom only through a narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for many who choose that way. But the gate to life is very narrow. And the road is difficult, and only a few find it. Can you hear the pearls in that? Only a few find this way. The, the wide road, well, it's got to be wide because the planks are huge, right? Well, he's talking about salvation here as well. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad. Gates wide for many choose that way. Why do they choose that way? Because it's easy. It's not difficult. Because the gateway to life is very narrow. And the road is difficult. And only a few find it. Well, Jesus continues throughout chapter 7. And we're going to continue through this verse by verse. But this really connects together. And he'll, he'll call out his, his, and talk about his true disciples later on. About building a foundation. 
And all of this has a lot to do with the kingdom of God and a lot to do here in this chapter with judging others and how we judge and how we're humble about how we receive that judgment. So men and women, I just want to tell you that I'm really blessed to be in a space, in a, in a space, I don't mean this space right here, but in a ministry space with you. It's, it's a real, it's a huge blessing. But can I just be honest with you? What I said at the beginning, I think the church has taken for granted what we get to do as a church. I'm not saying you necessarily, specifically, but if it fits, then wear that shoe. But the church as a whole, and these two years have shown our hearts as a church, as people have disappeared from the community of believers. Overwhelmingly, in North Seattle, 50% of church-attending people have disappeared. 50%. I've said that before. I'll keep saying it. Pastors keep coming. We meet on a monthly basis. We meet on a weekly basis. We talk through this as what is going on. But at the same time, God is doing some really beautiful stuff. He, it's like he's taking what, what he's taking, I don't want to say what's left over. He's taking what's left. <laughs> and he's using you in brilliant and beautiful ways in your said a couple weeks ago that there's more prayer happening in the city of Seattle than there has been in the last 50 years. That was told by me from a pastor who became a Christian 50 years ago at the Jesus Movement in Ballard. Like there's more prayer. There's more prayer um, uh, being uh, prayed over new city officials and those who are on ballots. There's more prayer going for the city and the neighborhoods and for churches and for people by name up and down the streets. There's more prayer happening now than ever. God is moving and doing something remarkable right now. And it'd be very easy for us to step back and go, well, not very many of us left. Frozen chosen here. We're going to kind of huddle. Uh, just please, 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 would you be willing to step into the fray? I know it's a difficult time. And the, the mask wearing is, and the, the vaccine and social unrest, this all is, is, there's a bigger issue going on here. So as we're talking to each other and what the enemy is doing, he's pitting the church against the church. He's pitting Christians against Christians with this issue. And it's difficult. And I know some people are like, this is it. This is the truth. This box that I'm in is the truth. And other people know this box I'm in is the truth. And there's a wedge being driven right through here. It's like somebody's got a... a, a a mallet, and they're driving a wedge down through a hard piece of wood, and it's separating it. And men and women, when, when the wood is separated with a wedge, it doesn't come back together. Or if it does, it has to be tied back together, glued back together, but it's never the same. And there's a wedge being driven between us. And a lot of you know some of the conversations I've had with you this week. We have to fight this wedge. We have to fight it. And if it's because of a plank in your eye, get rid of that plank. Run from the people who are plank-eyed surgeons around a fireplace who are yapping about the other side, whatever that other side is. Please, please. And then come together in humility and saying, you know what? I might not be seeing everything clearly. Help me. Help me see it clearly. Please do that. I'm... I'm like pleading with you as a church, as a church, as North Seattle, because God has so much that he's doing. 
And there's so many things that are like on the cusp of just dominoes tipping. People are coming to Christ. Soon we'll have a baptism service here. Father God, I just worship you. And Lord, may we bow before you in humility and say, you know, there's a possibility I have a plank in my eye. And may we come before our brothers and our sisters, come before you first, but then before our brothers and sisters in humility. Um, and may we be taught that humility is something that can beat us up a little bit even. But in humility, that we would take the first step into humility, that we would get off the, this tornado, this vortex of, of uh, plank-eyed surgery that pits one against the other over and over and over. This is the, the crime of the enemy. God, there's so much at stake. You've called us to be fishers of men. Men and women, boys and girls, you've called us to be fishers of people. May we do that in humility. I'm just calling on you, Lord, to engage with our heart and our soul this morning. I'm also aware this morning there's possibly people who have never followed verse 17 of chapter 4 where you've said, repent, take responsibility of your own rebellion, repent, and turn to God. And Lord, would you offer your hand to those in this room and online today that you are the one that redeems and transforms. And when we repent and turn to you, that you give us your Holy Spirit, that you give us transformation, you give us a renewed and right heart. This righteousness that we try to do on our own is never a uh, an option, but you give us a righteousness because of Jesus, your son. And Lord, I pray that, that somebody here this morning would say yes to you. And I ask, Lord, that you would, as you're stirring our soul, that we wouldn't run from the stir in our soul. <laughs> that we would, we would say yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. So men and women, as we sing this last song, you can sit, you can stand. And I just ask you to, to take into account what the Holy Spirit is saying in your soul. If that means weeping, if it means praying, if it means singing, um, do that. Okay? Appreciate you.